Hello, and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast, your one stop for co-op news and reviews. This week, Jason Perez is here to entertain you with some more shelf stories. Yo, my peoples, what's up? Welcome back to Shelf Stories, the channel that tells tales from games, books, and life. And welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast. I am your host, Jason. Thank you so much for stopping by for this latest uh, game chat, chat with friends. Uh, this man. Uh, is part of my story as a podcaster. He may not know this, uh, but he used to host the Board Game Design Lab podcast you may have heard of on the Dice Tower Network. Uh, he invited me on for a very early episode, uh, and I, that was my first guest spot outside of my original podcast, which was Every Night is Game Night. So I always will be thankful to this man. I was riding with him. The man put out 300 episodes of that podcast for you to enjoy. Uh, but we're not talking about the podcast. We're talking about his game. That is on crowdfunding right now on GameFound called Robomon. We have a playthrough of it. Mike does on the One Stop Co-op Shop. So we're doing this podcast in tandem. He is Gabe Barrett. Welcome to the show. Jason, really glad to be here, man. Yeah, we've known each other a while. It's crazy how time flies. Like It's crazy, man. You were on one of the early episodes. And then, yeah. you know, 200, 300, however many episodes later, here we are doing another it's thing. It. And it's, it's so cool to see how people kind of evolve and grow in the industry. You're doing some really cool things. I'm mm -hmm. doing new things now. It's been fun to... I see the journey. We were just like, you know, we just turned the podcast on. We were, we were both talking like we the combined cost of our microphones was under 100 bucks. Oh, easily. <laughs> <laughs> and that included the, the stand. That included That's the right. cables. <laughs> included the software. Yeah, it was. <laughs> the audacity oh, that we were Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was early stuff, man. And um, yeah, and, like now we've got a little bit better sound, hopefully. Got that, some nice sound. You got, boom, I got my microphone. Yeti. You, got, yeah. you got your big old thing. Uh, you've done a couple of designs this point uh so we are going to talk about robot but i want to i'll get to that in a little bit this is about people i want to get to know gabe as a person uh so when we were first connected right uh you were in honduras and your teacher so that was like you're you're very uh passion driven and you were there for like you know a very mission driven orientation and you picked up game design and, and game stuff as like I got to do something. Uh, <laughs> so talk us through this, man. You're not in Honduras anymore, but, you know, take us back to the beginning of Board Game Design Lab, beginning of design. And, you know, like, we, let's start the story from there. Yeah, for sure. So I was in Honduras almost eight years. Uh, I went down there with my church. I used to work for a church in Atlanta, but uh, I did all like the domestic stuff. I did like the homeless ministry stuff we were doing mm -hmm. at the church. I did a lot of like stuff around the city where, where you know, I was living and working. And I had no desire to do anything outside the country, like nothing international. No, thank you. You know, they don't have Chick-fil-A out there. They don't play the right <laughs> kind of football. They don't speak English over there. I'm good. I'll right, stay right. home. And the guy that Roll was my time. boss, <laughs> get out of here, man. Warrior. Uh, the, the guy that was my boss at the church, he did all the international stuff. So he went to Kenya and India and Honduras and he would lead these teams and they'd go for weeks at a time. And I was so happy for him to go. Well, anyway, one one fateful you know, week, he was about to leave to go to Honduras, going to lead this team of about 20 people, and he had to back out a couple of days before they left. And so I ended up having to go in his place and lead this group of people I had never met before. I wasn't in any of the meetings or the training. I didn't know where Honduras was on a map. I didn't know what we were doing. All of a sudden, I had to write some sermons because I was going to be preaching. It's mm. like, it's just very frustrating scenario that I was not excited for. And the only reason I even had a passport is because I had played football in college mm. and I had tried out for some Canadian football teams. And I was like, well, let me get a, let me get a passport just in case, you know, I ever get an opportunity to go to Canada. And you played so, with Cam Newton, right? Well, almost. So almost, almost. I missed him by one semester. I graduated in spring of 2010 he came. He came in the spring of 2010. They won a national championship that following fall. I missed a national championship and a you know a run with Cam Newton mm. by one semester. Um, so anyway, if y'all don't know who Cam Newton is, Google it. Oh man, <laughs> not going to catch you people up. <laughs> Goodness gracious! I mean, one of the greatest of all time for sure, Heisman Trophy winner. But um, Absolutely. yeah, and so that's the only reason I had a passport. And um, anyway, I ended up on this trip down to Honduras, and um, I thought I was going for a week, and I ended up staying for eight years. Wow. Uh, <laughs> Wow. I ended up meeting my wife down there, um, and she's from Alabama. I had to go to Honduras to meet another girl from Alabama. It's just how <laughs> crazy life is. And so, awesome. anyway, I met this wonderful woman while we were there, and uh, she was a missionary. And uh, mm. anyway, so we got married, and I, I moved down. And she was already in the process of, of adopting a couple little girls. And so I obviously came right into that process. And that was our life for a long time. And um, then, that was before I was teaching. Then I was we were working at an orphanage there. Uh, had about 500 kids. It mm. was just 
chaos. It was kind of mm-hmm. crazy. Um, it was organized chaos. It wasn't just like, you know, bananas, but it was, it was a lot. And the schedule was three weeks on one day off. And most days I worked 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. So mm. 12 hour days, three weeks in a row. So I am kind of losing my mind. Mm-hmm. You know, at first I'm, I'm, I'm okay. But like after months and months and months of that, I'm kind of losing it. Like I'm a little mm-hmm. overwhelmed, a little burnout. And so game design actually was what I just started doing to not lose my mind. It was mm-hmm. a way to kind of escape and think about other things. I started listening to the Ludology pod- podcast, listen to the Plaid Hat podcast. And, and that was a good way to just kind of pass the time while I was working there at the orphanage and, and doing stuff with kids or doing stuff on the farm or wherever they had me that day. And so that's kind of how it all started. And then about a year and a half uh, later, we moved to a different part of the country and we started working with the organization that helps kids like transition out of mm-hmm. orphanages and get life skills and job skills and stuff like that. And then, and then I got a job at the, at the school, at the high school where I was teaching English. I did that for uh, about five years. And so during that whole time, it was just game design was a great way to, mm. you know, get my mind off of everything else. And then the podcast came out of <laughs> one, once I had time, you know, once I wasn't working three weeks on one day off and actually had some, a little bit of free time, I was thinking, okay, I want to be part of the industry. I want to be involved mm. in some way. There's no game stores here in Honduras. I can't like start a YouTube channel and start reviewing games or anything like that. And I mm-hmm. definitely did not have the internet connection for a lot of things, but I had just enough internet to do a podcast. Mm-hmm. And so I had this idea about a game design show and what would that look like and something different than Ludology, different from other shows that I was listening to. I thought there might be a, a kind of a hole in the market for what I was you know, wanting and, and mm-hmm. thinking about doing. And um, yeah, so I started off and I, I thought, hey, I'll, I'll do this for a little bit and we'll see what happens. And then 301 episodes later, yes, I, uh, it's just kind of crazy. And you yeah, know, I, I like I liked your approach. I, I was very drawn to your approach uh, because Ludology could be pretty high level. Yeah. Right. You know, very philosophical, very, you know, that's, that's Jeff Edelstein and like, and, and that kind of like thing of, of like, and I enjoy Ludology very, very much. Oh, I yeah. still listen. It's one of the few that I still listen to. It's funny. Like you get more and more into the hobby, the less you actually consume on a, at a bottom level and you kind of go at a different direction, but I never dropped off Ludology, but I have to admit, I don't learn a whole lot about actual in the, like on the table, hands-on prototype game design. What you did was you would have, you know, like I, I came on to talk about like just rule writing and you had people talk about like prototyping and uh you know uh publishing and like you know printing in china and you know like different mechanisms and worker placement and drafting and like you really broke down on a on a level that almost made it feel like oh i could do this yeah you know and that was i really appreciated that in terms of the, what the design lab did oh absolutely and that was one of my main goals is just to kind of pull the curtain back and say hey whoever you are wherever you are whatever situation you're in if you have just the inkling of an idea of wanting to do this, you can. You're not going to be any good. Like it's going to take time. It's going to take experience <laughs> nope. and, and figuring things out and all that kind of this kind of stuff. It's a journey. Like it's 100% an mm-hmm. adventure, and it's going to take a while. But let me let me find ways to break things down to a tangible level, so that when you're listening, you go, "Oh, I've got an idea. Oh, I could do that. Oh, it's actually not as complicated as I thought." And then kind of open, almost like paving the way for more people, right? And and that's what. I love about this industry. Like there's so many cool ways you can be involved. There's so many cool things that you can do that are so different from what other people are doing. If you want to make five hour long, really complicated rules, you know, full of rules, war games, you can. If you want to make a 10 minute solo roll and write, you can. Like there's just so many opportunities. And and if you want to do marketing, you want to do accounting, you want to do, you know, logistics, like there's a million things you can do. And so many people in the industry are just like really cool people to talk to. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what I wanted to show is like, this is such a cool hobby to be in. You have access mm-hmm. to the Steven Spielbergs, like yeah, of our yeah, you had Gene F. Stegmaier in episode five. And like that, I know that dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was, he was the first episode. He was number one. Oh, he was number one. Okay. Number one and 301. So I did a nice little full circle. Mm. He was the first and the last. But, uh, you know, Rob Davio and Matt Leacock and Eric right. Lang and like just these amazing folks that would just come on the show and just share a wealth of knowledge. You know, that's another thing I love. It's not like, People are trying to hide all their trade secrets. Right, right. You know, they're like, hey, this is how I screwed up. Here's, you know, how I figured it out. Why don't you go ahead and start at the figured out part so you can, you know, bypass all the time I wasted and just trying to help people, you know, and just kind of trying to raise the tide mm-hmm. uh, and, and not worry so much about keeping things close to the, the vest, you know. And, and so, yeah, I just love the, the people in the industry. It's such a great hobby. Mm-hmm. And then so, you know, as you were going, because I remember I was listening regularly at this time, you had you had launched the final flick tier. Yeah. That was your first game, I believe? First one that I had published myself. I had, you know, lots of other side prototypes and pitched to publishers and stuff like that. That was the first one that like actually made it out into the world. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, flick, flicking, you know, a slow bill flicking type game. I think it had a Star Wars type theme or something like that. Yeah, it was like oh. a four, like a family four X kind of game, <laughs> but you're you're flicking dice. The dice are your ships, and you would flick mm. them around this big old neoprene mat galaxy, and you're like trying to land on planets and trying to blow each other up and collect mm. resources. And yeah, it was just a lot of fun. It was you know like a forty five to sixty minute four X game, which is mm-hmm. you know kind of hard to pull off and and it was it was good you know i look back on it, i'm like okay i would have done some things differently but like look at the that's time always, i was like this is pretty, yeah. this is pretty good. Yeah. and, and it so it kept on rolling you know so then uh hunted was a was a, was a game that we covered and a series of games yep. right so tell the people just a little bit about hunted they could, yes. could and so, could they, if they could still get it oh absolutely it's i've still got a just a handful of copies left over um the hunted it's a series of solo games where basically you are a hero, a character, and you're basically dropped into a situation and you're trying to fight your way out. So there's one that's kind of like Die Hard where you're trying to save your wife. You're going through this big hotel and trying to figure that out. There's another one that's kind of like Aliens where you're this hero trying to get off this mining colony and, mm-hmm. and all these evil aliens are trying to eat you You know, before it blows up. There's another one that's kind of like Stranger Things where you're, you're these kids in the 80s and there's like all these crazy things happening in your town. You're trying to figure that out before time runs out. I've got another one coming out some point that's kind of like a fantasy almost like a roguelike kind of game where it's high fantasy and you're you know fighting through different levels and and things like that but you know it's it's a simple game it's a solo game 20 minutes to play very quick rules mechanisms are very simple to understand but uh it's it's been a lot of fun to work on the art is amazing i found a guy named jorge that um is just a phenomenal artist and so it's just been a lot of fun to work on those projects and then those projects have led to these other solo games and um yeah it's just been a really cool journey so we're establishing the pedigree uh, definitely like an evolution over here. So we have the podcast and at some point you decided to move on from the podcast was there, uh, was it just time, you know, 300 is a nice round number. I, you know, I'm starting to, you know, kind of feel it or was it a conscious decision? Like, okay, I need to spend more time on game design. Yeah. So it was a mixture of things. Um, one, I'm a big fan of the Barry Sanders mentality of mm. leave people wanting more, you know, like retire a little early as opposed to hanging on a little too long. Right. And I don't think I was getting close to that necessarily. Uh, I still enjoyed the show. I never got to a point where I dreaded it. I never got to a point where I just didn't enjoy talking to people where I was like, oh, I got to record another one. I got to do it. It never got to that point. I didn't want it to get to that point. Um, That was one thing. Um, But right around episode, I think it was 276, because that's when I surpassed Ludology in number Mm -hmm. of episodes. And that was a weird moment because it's like this show that I had had looked up to, the show that I'd kind of like, you know, listened to forever and then designed my show to be something different, to be an alternative, to be, you know, kind of a different way to do it. But then they were always the one I was kind of chasing. And then when I passed them in episodes, it was like, let me just step back and rethink this. Like, what Mm -hmm. do I want to do? And um, that's why I just kind of thought, you know, coming up, I'm pretty sure I'm going to move back to the U S here soon. That means my job is I'm going to change jobs. I've got another job in the States that I was doing during the summer, like this part-time homelessness ministry thing that would lead mission trips. I knew that was coming to an end. Like so many things about my life were changing and Mm -hmm. ending in good, in good ways. Like it wasn't anything bad. I was like, what if I just end the podcast to change gears? Tr- let's make everything new. Like, right. let's just start over from scratch with mm-hmm. everything. And so I thought, let's do 301 episodes. That way I can say, yeah, I did over 300. <laughs> <laughs> I did over 300 podcast episodes. And I'm not lying. Um, and let's just, let's try something new. And so that meant leaning into my publishing company and really figuring out, okay, what does it look like to spend a lot more time on this to be able to focus more as opposed to kind of a side hustle losing my mind. Cause I've got too many things going on at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then also switching gears and like, what does it look like to do video instead of audio? And so I've been working on this like YouTube channel. I was hoping to launch this month, but Robomine got pushed back. And so mm-hmm. now it's looking like September that I'll, I'll launch some videos and, and try to like a little YouTube thing and still talking about creativity, um, talking about, you know, productivity and getting things done and how to overcome procrastination stuff that game designers will still Mm-hmm. benefit from just looking at it from different angles and so that was kind of a big old ball of of just ideas and choices and like let's see what works you know and if it doesn't work i i don't mind changing mm-hmm. so we'll see i'll give it have six me months on to talk about imposter syndrome that's a big one that uh hangs that hangs a lot of people up yeah but oh, a lot man. of designers are like i don't know if i can do this i don't know if anybody's gonna like this my game's yeah. gonna suck they're all gonna make fun of me it's like come on just bake it <laughs> yeah and especially nowadays social media has screwed us oh, up yeah, so yeah. bad so because bad, yeah. our little caveman brains we, we can't comprehend what we see in, a, in, in reality. You know what I mean? Like we see stuff on Instagram or, or TikTok or Facebook or whatever. 
and you're like, oh, why isn't that me? There must be something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. You know, why don't I have that? Why, why don't I have the money to do this, that, or the other? Or in our case, like if, if you're doing a Kickstarter campaign, you're looking at other people's campaigns and they made a million dollars. And it's a game that's nowhere near as good as yours. It's no, like the art is, is not as good, The mm-hmm. whatever it is. And we have a hard time grasping with the reality of, oh, wait, this is that person's 12th game. They've built an audience for a decade. Mm-hmm. Or this is a person that had a huge advantage going in that I don't have. Like, or they have an IP going behind them, or they absolutely. have like a, or they got hooked up with a, a certain influential creator. Like, right. You know, they got up that, they ride in that tide. There's all sorts of reasons. Exactly. And so, you know, once you can step back and identify the reality of things, it gets a little bit easier. It's never easy. You're, you're always going to run into, I think everything I do sucks. And, and I have those days like everybody else. But I don't know. I, I feel like sometimes you just got to lie to yourself and just be like, no, <laughs> this is good. Even if you don't believe it. Uh, I think it was C.S. Lewis who talked about like, Act as if it is, and eventually it will be, yeah. right? And he was talking about loving people. And he's like, you know, if you don't love somebody, like if you if you hate somebody, act as if you do. Like yeah. act as if you love them, and eventually you'll find a way. And it's like, okay, let's look at that from create creativity standpoint. Mm-hmm. Like just act as if what you're making is good enough, and eventually, hopefully, your brain will listen, your heart will listen. Um, but it's a process. So fantastic. So this is the longest lead up that I've had to talking about a project. <laughs> so I mean, but just establishing the pedigree, establishing how much game and, and, and a lot of ways we're selling the person, right? There's a product, but it wants to sell the person. And we're selling the idea that like this person is gonna pour heart, soul, mind, uh, you know, experience into this product. And I have a few, like I, I know this is not gonna be your biggest, like, you know, this the the opus, but this definitely feels like a culmination point. Robomon. So like, yeah. you know, Robomon is a Give us the pitch. Yeah. So Robomon is a open world narrative driven game. It's all about exploration. It's all about like finding the surprises, got tons of puzzles, but at its core, you are this teenager. You're this like 17 year old kid. That's your, your hero. And you get to create everything about your, your character. And that's one of the things I love about this game. Like whoever you want to be, you can be that. And then you're going out into the world to become this Robomon Ranger. And what that means is you have to like go out and complete all these these quests and tasks and get all these certificates and at the same time you've got this pokemon style battle system thing going on where you're capturing these robots these robomon out in the world you're building a team you know and then you're going and facing off against other uh, kind of like gym leaders um like we call them club leaders and but um i had to change like all my terminology to get away from anything <laughs> copyrighted by pokemon <laughs> just like trying to avoid lawsuits right. at all costs right um and so, yeah, you're just, it's, it's a very interesting game. It's, it's not one that people have really ever played before. It's not like, oh, it's a deck builder with this twist. Oh, it's a worker placement game, but you use dice as your workers. Like, it's not any of that kind of stuff. It's, if I had to, like, kind of do a mishmash, it'd be like Sleeping Gods mixed with Mega Man mixed with Pokemon, right? So if any of those <laughs> things are of interest to you listening to this, right. uh, then I think the game might be for you. And it's got a lot of like point and click adventure kind of stuff where you've got this map book where you have tons of encounters and then the numbers on the map book correlate to the adv- adventure book with entries over there. And you've got tons of stuff going on, whether it's skill checks or, you know, conversations with M- NPCs, side quests, puzzles, items, shops. There's a lot going on, man. And you're right. The whole Opus idea, this is a massive, massive project yes. compared yes. to the other stuff I've done. So, and, uh, so again, paint the scene. So like, okay, so Michael did the the um, the playthrough yeah. on the One Stop Co-op Shop, and it, he was very clear that this is like a, a fraction. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so like he had a couple of cards, and a couple of cards are like little like Pokemon type animals, and he's picking the the flaming panda and whatever it is, and he's doing the like a, a simulated combat, and he's you know um, reading a little bit of the flavor text. So tell us uh, where the game is. We we're talking about before the show, like where is the game exactly right now? Yeah, so the demo copy that I've been sending out to, to Mike and other content, uh, content creators is somewhere around 12% Ugh. of the total, right? And what I sent him was something like 25, 26 map book pages. It's like 100 and something adventure book pages. I sent 30 or so Robomon. Like, that's that's still a lot. Like, that's that's yeah. a whole game's worth play. of content yeah, right play. there, you know? Um, but we're nowhere near done because, like, this is an epic adventure. If... If people keep asking how long does it take to play, it's somewhere between 30 and 40 hours it'll take you to complete the whole thing. And that's not even like including all the little Easter eggs and side mm-hmm. quests and everything. That's just like the main core of the game. It's somewhere in that 30 to 40 hour range. And there's an expansion too, if you want to add that on and kind of get you some post-game content and some more challenging battles and stuff like that. And so, yeah, it's a it's a lot 
going on, but I've got, I found a phenomenal artist, a guy named Liam, who lives over in the uh, in the UK, and he's just an incredible pixel artist. And so he just comes up with these maps and these these assets and these characters and NPCs and all that stuff. And it's just it's so much fun to work on that it's been really enjoyable. This has been the most fun project I've ever done, even though it's the most overwhelming. It's the biggest by far, and uh, most expensive and most like you know, mess with you as far as like, you look at the numbers of like how much stuff costs and everything. Like I make, I normally make $20 games that take 20 minutes to play. That's what I've been making for years. And now I've got this $80 game that takes 30 hours to play. You're like, okay, this is a whole nother level, but uh, it's, it's a ton of fun. And I think mm-hmm. once people really, it's, it's hard for people to get it right. Cause again, it's not like, Oh, it's, it's a deck builder with right. this other thing. Like, no, this is a game unlike pretty much anything else out there. Um, when I say open world, I don't mean, you could go anywhere. I mean, like at any moment, you can be like, I want to turn the page five pages and go to a whole new map. Mm-hmm. You can do that, right? And it's it's not limited by, oh, I can only move two spaces on a turn or I have to worry about how many resources or how much oxygen or how many, you know, sp- whatever. Like, no, you just go anywhere, do anything, right? have fun, and then, you know, see what happens in your your adventure. Is there a through line? Uh, you know, because the open world has to has to do that dance, yeah. right? Because there's different type personalities. Some people want to explore every corner. Some people want their main quest, and then you get to dip into stuff. So, how does that work out? Yeah, so there is a main story. There's a couple of main stories. There's one that's like your personal main story where you're trying to become this Robomon Ranger, and so you're trying to figure out how do I get these certificates? And it's you know I got to go over here and do this. I got to talk to that person. I got to complete this quest. You get all these experience points, and eventually you get different certificates that give you in-game bonuses and and ways that you know change the game a little bit. Uh, but then there's also the competitive side. It's like, okay, if you want to do the kind of Pokemon style, go from gym to gym and beat the leaguer and, and win, you can do that. So there's other, like a second thing you can do. But then there's also a little subplot going on, and I won't ruin that here, but there might be some big bad evil guy mm-hmm. trying to take over the world because always. Sure. And so, you know, there's stuff like, <laughs> like that as well. So you've kind of got three major things that you can do. And, you know, along the way, I feel like most people are going to kind of dabble and do this and do that, you know, that over there. And as they, you know, encounter things on different maps, um, just kind of do a third at a time, right? As opposed to doing one path focused, right? Um, but it's it's kind of like, you know, open world video games, like The Witcher 3, one of my favorites, right? You can look on the map and go, ooh, that looks interesting. I want to go way off over there. And you get on your horse and you ride way off over right. there and you find a level 50 enemy and you're level five and it just slaughters you. That's this game. Like you can find right. yourself in a situation where, like I am under leveled. <laughs> like I should not okay. be here. Right. Right. But you can, if you want to go there, feel free, have fun, mm-hmm. have at it. Right. And then you'll you'll bank that for later. It's like, oh, that's over there. And then yeah. when I'm geared up and gives you a goal. It's like, okay, that guy kicked my butt. I get, you know, I gotta I level my Robomon. Uh so in terms of the actual mechanism of combat, yeah. like it looks it's a card battler, right? I mean, like Pokemon fans are gonna be familiar with card battling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It doesn't work like Pokemon, you know, the, the actual card game, but like it, like you're, you're used to collecting your cards, picking who you want to actually represent you in the combat. And you're doing some card combo stuff to resolve the battle. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, for sure. So I wanted to make sure that the combat system was distinguished enough away from Pokemon. So that it was a totally different experience. Right. You know, you can look at this game and know exactly what it's inspired by. Right. It's pretty <laughs> daggum obvious. But I wanted to make sure that it was still its own world, it had right. its own lore, its own backstory. And so all of that is unlike anything Pokemon's ever even thought about doing. And then the combat system is when you're in a competitive battle. So when you're fighting other Robomon trainers, competitors, whatever, uh, it's this grid system. It's this tactical, you know, square grid that you've got your tokens out there and then your your Robomon, you've got cards and it tells you their movement speed, mm-hmm. you know, their gives you the turn order, it gives you different abilities and how much hit, how many hit points, how much energy they have, all that. And then you're kind of moving tactically around these maps and there's terrain and there's things to think about. And I'm actually going to, I had some really good feedback from people in the uh, GameFound campaign and they're like, hey, have you thought about these ways to make combat a little more interesting? Which mm. is, they've given me, one thing I love about crowdfunding is like you get this collaboration and people are like, Hey, if you thought about this, I was like, that's a great idea. And I can add that in. But anyway, you, so you run around this map and it's got an AI system where the AI, AI is actually pretty smart. Like it, it tries to kill you. Like the, the, the enemy wants to win too. Like your opponents right. also want to win. And so, you know, I'm trying to do everything I can to make every fight feel interesting and challenging. And every Robomon is different. Uh, they've all got you know special things about them where they feel unique. You know, it's not like oh, this one does a water attack, but it does two damage instead of one damage. It's like no, that's it's boring. And so trying to make them all feel interesting, and there's going to be like eighty by the end of this thing. And so 
that's that's been fun <laughs> to figure out how to make them all you know different enough but right, right. not not crazy but well, i mean um, we're talking yeah. final fantasy tactics type you know or disgaea these, these video games that have the terrains and the yeah. different units and they can kind of like move them on all, all, all that kind of thing yeah exactly not not to that level uh you obviously can't get nearly as complicated as you can with a right. video game you're having to do all the math in your own head right? right um but trying to make it interesting every battle is a 2v2 and so you've always got two of your robomon out there and so there's more to think about than just that one thing and you can kind of set up your right. your other one you know so like, i'm going to do this on this turn and then that's going to set up my other robomon on that turn and so there's a few more things to think about and again i didn't want battles to take forever mm-hmm. right i wanted people to be able to that's nothing about Pokemon and other games like this, sometimes you, you just it gets it's a grind. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, I gotta do another one. I'm just gonna hit A over and over again. I'm gonna win, right. I'm gonna get some money, whatever. I wanted it to be interesting. So there's not a ton of battles. Um, but at the same time, you know, each one is interesting. There's a challenge or something different about each one. Um, it's just, you know, different things to uh to think about. And it's it's been a lot of fun, man, just to kind of come up with the different battle maps and stuff like that. And there's nothing mm-hmm. as far as like speed. So initially the game had like separate mats and you would go into a battle, you'd have to like find the terrain tiles and put them on the mat and kind of figure things out. And you have to look at a little chart and it just took a long time. And so what we started doing to fix that was in the adventure book, whenever you come to a battle, you open up to that page and it's already set up. Like the adventure Mm -hmm. book is the battle mat and the terrain is already printed on there. And it tells you exactly what you need to know. All the information's there. What do you get if you win? What happens if you lose? And so you can literally just start playing almost immediately. You find your, you know, the Robomon tokens that then go on the mat and they're going to move around. You find those, you're pretty much ready to go. And so that sped the thing up a lot. And so that was another thing I was thinking about. I was like, how can I make this game just move quicker? Like people want to, you know, they, they right. want to go. They don't want to waste time with setup. And so that was another thing. It's like early on, can, can I make a game as big as this that you can set up on your table in two minutes or less? Because a lot of games like this, they have so many resources. There's so many little bags to open. There's so many cars to pull out and different things. It's like, okay, I don't want, I don't want to do any of that. I want to, I want to open the box. And I want to play. Like you like, mentioned not... uh, Sleeping Gods. Like Sleeping Gods is this yeah. massive production. You have eight characters, and all the eight characters have to go, and you have the items, and you have the, you know, you have to keep track of what you've done. And it's a bear. Like yeah. you know, it's one of those things where you have to leave it out, laid out, and if you pack it up, you're not starting that thing again. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's was... an immersive experience. I love that game. Oh, like, yeah. you know, it's one of the best games of all time. And it was actually Sleeping Gods is what finally helped me overcome the main obstacle in creating this game. Because I, I started working on this game five years ago. Like, it was a totally different theme. Everything, you know, a lot of it was different. But like the core open world idea was there. I couldn't figure out how to crack the code, though. It's like, how do you do it? And then Sleeping Gods came out. And I was like, the map book. That's how you do it. You have a book of maps and you can go anywhere you want. And you leave this page, you go to the next page. That's how you do it. And that was really the the catalyst to get me here two and a half years later mm-hmm. of, of actually having a game you know available for sale the, but, the um, funny thing is like i had ryan on the show to talk yeah. about the previous game um near and far mm-hmm. so and near and far had the map book and i think it was one of the, it was i may have been the first game with a map book because usually with a tiles or something other right. thing and the, the way they the way he found it was like he was i forget exactly what it was like he was playing like a storybook game so the storybook was open and like someone had like frittered a bunch of like um tokens and on the on the storybook and it looked like a map and mm-hmm. it's like why don't we do that yeah <laughs> and it was a total accident and all of a sudden you have stuff fables and you have uh this game you have you know sleeping god you have uh, i mean um Goomhaven draws a lion did the map book like all yep. of a sudden it's like this whole like wow like we just opened up a whole realm of adventure yeah you know, absolutely like, it has spawned some amazing ideas off of it and the other you know just phenomenal games but at the same time you one one great thing about sleeping gods is you can look at it and go okay these are the amazing parts let's let's do those but then here's the things that aren't as amazing how do we fix those and like you're right. talking about with the setup it takes a long time so how do we fix that and so i got rid of basically all tokens like there's no r- real there's only two resource tokens in the game even though the game has like 20 different resources right because i was like okay let's let's learn from tabletop RP- rpgs where you have the character sheet and you don't have a million tokens. You just have a piece of paper and you right. get a new resource. You just mark it down and, you know, you take your pencil and if you have to erase, you erase, you write the new number or you just use, you know, tick marks or whatever you want to use and then you're good. And so one that, that makes setup immensely fast, the, the teardown also super fast, but also mm-hmm. the saving of the game. You're basically saving as you go. You don't have to take a bunch of time at the end to take a picture of everything or like write down a bunch of stuff. It's already written down. Mm-hmm. It's good to go. And so like, all right, I'm done playing. You literally just kind of put it back in the box. And you're, you're done because you've already saved it effectively. And so 
you know, I was able to learn a lot from Sleeping Gods, some of these other games that nice. um, have come off, off of that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, so it, it we have the combat, we have the Robomon, like, you know, the collectible, got to yeah. get them all, the whole thing. Uh, is it possible to get them all? Yes. Um, in the base, like, you're, you're, so you run into some situations where, like, let's say five Robomon need a certain item to be able to upgrade to, like, their next it's not evolution. You know, these are robots. They don't evolve. Um, you basically, you have to find blueprints, you find parts, and then you can upgrade them into yeah. better, bigger, faster, stronger versions. Well, let's say five of them need the same resource mm-hmm. to be able to upgrade. Well, there's only three of those. In the in whole the, game. Yeah. Right. Now, once you get to the post game and there's some other things that open up and you've got some different, yes, you can, you can, you can finish everything in the post, like mm-hmm. after the story, after you become a ranger, stuff like that. But in the actual main part of the game, you're going to make some choices. It's like, do I want to upgrade this water type or do I want to upgrade this fire type? Mm-hmm. Cause I've only got, you know, enough resources to do one or the other. And so, you know, it creates some fun choices and also creates replayability. Cause like maybe next time when I do right. an, you know, another playthrough, I, my team is totally different because I make totally different choices about which ones I put on my team, which ones I upgrade. And so that was another thing I was really thoughtful about is, you know, one of the great things about these types of games is to go back and play it again, even though mm-hmm. you know the story, you know the puzzle, stuff like that. But how you play it out can be vastly different and just trying out different teams and stuff like that. Oh, I didn't play Shining Force again. I didn't play Fantasy Star again. <laughs> of course I did, people. <laughs> right. right. Uh, so, okay, so we have the, the combat system, we have the tactic system, we have huge adventure, like we only have a fraction, fraction of what is happening with the adventure stuff. Are you writing it all yourself or did you hire some help? Yeah, so most, all the story stuff has been me and then Liam and I have, have worked get together, like coming up with different like story beats and moments. All that writing has been mine. I also hired um, someone named Jono Naito, who has been just phenomenal and, and did a, a ton of the uh, like skill checks. And, you know, kind of you've got strength checks and agility checks. A lot of it's kind of like um, Powered by the Apocalypse, that 2D6 system, add your modifier. Right. And so in your character creation at the beginning of the game, first thing you do is you create a character, and you give you know him or her whatever stats you want. You've, you know, zeros in this, plus one, minus one, plus two. And then so Jono created a ton of the, the skill checks, which is super helpful because that's not like story. It's just kind of like these extra little flavorful things. And so did a great job with that. But uh, yeah, all the writing other than that has, has been me. And that was another thing I had to, I had to focus, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, all right, th- right, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta start saying no to things. <laughs> <laughs> so I need more time in my right. life because also my family would like to see me at some point. So, right. you know, it definitely yeah. shows because I but might give you the compliment that like the grammar was all correct and he has enough <laughs> prototypes to see <laughs> where the state of things are. Yeah. And the fact that this was a little bit advanced is definitely a credit to you. Uh, so a, a huge package. Right. Uh, so I think we have gotten a 360. You've answered all my questions. Is there anything else in terms of a final pitch uh, for Robomon? Yeah. So, again, going back to the whole idea, like, what is this game? Because I've had so many people send me messages because if you say anything is like is like Pokemon, they immediately have an idea in their head of what right, that right, means. Right. And typically that's like a, a 1v1 dueling card game or it's something, you know, back and forth trading card style or something like that. And this ain't that. Right. This no, no, is. No, no. And again, it's an open world, like think open world video game, but as a board game. And it's not something people can fully grasp because it hasn't really happened in this way before. And that is a huge challenge from a marketing standpoint. I keep running into questions where I'm like, oh, I thought that was, I thought that was obvious, but apparently a lot of people, they're not quite getting it, quote unquote. And so the main pitch I have to people is just give it a shot. Like, Dive a little bit deeper than you normally would because this isn't the typical, oh, it's a worker placement, but it's got this twist. Like, mm-hmm. no, this is a brand new, it's a mixed media experience. There's music, there's comic book style, like cutscenes. Right. I didn't even mention the music. You have a whole like uh, side thing that you can do a QR code. You get some uh, some fantasy music. Yeah, every time you go to a new map or you're in a different battle, it's got a QR code. You scan it with your phone and it pops up, you know, very like 16-bit retro style music that fits the moment fits the the mood of that area and so again it's this like mixed media thing the puzzles are super interesting there's been a lot of fun to to create i hired some puzzle makers to do those Mm. and it's just it's a lot going on but it's this cohesive experience and when i sat down and really thought through what do i want to create you know this is two and a half years ago like what do i want to make i was like i don't want to just make a board game like that's not what i'm doing this is an experience this is Mm. something that i wanted people had to have never experienced anything like this before. Now it's got some common things, you know, it's got systems that you're familiar with and things like that. It's not just completely brand new, never heard of it. But the the package as a whole Mm -hmm. is something that um, I feel like 
unfortunately, it's going to take a lot of people like playing it to go, oh, this, oh, oh, okay, there it is. Now I get it. And so, you know, the, the sale on the front end is a little bit more challenging, but, um, you know, the people that get it already uh, are super excited about it. The people that have played it, they, they really enjoy it, really love it. And so, yeah, I guess my main pitch is just give it a little bit more of a chance than you normally would. Like when you go to a Kickstarter campaign, GameFound, you can typically scroll down the page and go, oh, I understand what this is. Right. You probably have to do a little bit more with this one because it's something a little bit different. I mean, I only know this because I saw the video from Mike and from, you know, like looking at the box, I would I wouldn't know. Yeah. You know, and that the box doesn't sell itself. The art doesn't necessarily sell itself. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, the Robomon and all that kind of stuff, because like I don't associate it with 1v1. I, I associate it with God of Collectible. Mm, yeah. You know, so like the collectible aspect of it, I think, is a selling point, at least for me. And then knowing that there's an adventure story behind it, there's, you know, that at least that's what appealed to me. So I imagine you're getting all sorts of feedback about like, OK, I like this and I like this uh -huh. and I like this. And then encapsulating all that is difficult. However, as we record this, you have funded. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm assuming. And was it a day one fund or did it? Yeah. Did yeah. So it was like 16 hours, something like that. Mm -hmm. Um. So, yeah. And the wee hours of the the morning, the early morning. I was I was still awake. Luckily, it was like two a.m. or something like that. But um, yeah, it funded day one, which is always nice. And it, again, it's it's interesting. Like I've run several campaigns at this point, and you always hope that you have a million dollars on day one. Sure, you know. Um, and and it's just interesting to see how campaigns can be so different. You know what I mean? But what's been really fun with this one, and it's not something I've ever experienced before, because I've run. You know, most of my games have been, you know, 20 dollar, 20 minute experiences. Um, one thing was kind of funny. Somebody was like, hey, I thought this was going to be like one of your other games. Can you can you put this game into a 20 dollar box? It's like, uh, no, <laughs> no, this is, <laughs> no, this is a 200 dollar game if we're being right. totally honest. Um, but the comment section of this for this campaign has been amazing. Like I've never had so many people so passionate about stretch goals about ideas about adding things about tweaking things and some of it like some people have written dissertation length comments and you're like wow you took a long time out of your day to sit down and, and type all this out now some of it is amazing and some of it is like you you just don't have any idea what's gone into the development of this game because right. i tried that a year ago and it's a terrible idea <laughs> but just having so many people excited about it man mm -hmm. it's just been a lot of fun so i'm really pumped for the community that's going to come out of this and whether the campaign, you know, has a thousand backers or 10,000 backers, it doesn't matter. Uh, ultimately the, the community, I think is going to lay the groundwork for a lot of really cool things to come later. So even the, you know, this, this campaign is not going to make mind boggling, life changing money. That's okay. I feel like the okay. community that grows up around it is going to create a long-term thing that foundation that I can build a lot of really cool stuff on. Uh, in the future. And so, you know, anyone, anyone listen to this, you want to come be part of that. It's not just a game. This is this community kind of building this thing mm -hmm. together. And right now the stretch goals, you know, people are deciding, do they want the giraffe or do they want the rhinoceros? You know, <laughs> do they want to visit the spooky lighthouse or the, mm. the submarine? Like I love the collaborative nature of these campaigns because you let backers decide like, what do y'all want? And then let me give you that as opposed to me just assuming or, or guessing. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. And it's it's nice to hear because a lot of the crowdfunding buzz has been a little bit cynical. It's like, you know, because it's been dominated by like Marvel's on beside and like these kind of pre-packaged games. And then everything happened with like the shipping. Yeah. And, you know, so there's been a lot of like negativity about it. It's good to see that there's projects that are kind of answering to the original idea of crowdfunding. Like yeah. there's a little bit of throwback here. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one another thing that helps is kind of what you were talking about early on in, in the show is a lot of this is attached to me as a person. Sure. Like it's easy to hate Simon because who is that? Like that is right. a corporate, like that is a, a publicly traded company on a stock market. You know what I mean? Like, so they're easy to hate. And when they do something that's kind of sketchy or kind of like frustrating, it's not a big deal to get in the comments and just blast them because who, who are they? You know, who are their families? I don't know. Who is their dog? Who cares? You know, but when you, when you have a project from an, an indie publisher where they are the face, you know, I feel like it's a little bit harder to hate. <laughs> You know, now if, if you steal all their, you know, people's money, obviously that changes things. But um, that's that's my advice for any creator is, is put yourself out there, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, try to attach things to you as a human being and let people see your face you know, on the campaign page. And, you know, do some videos where it's you and the camera talking about the the passion and excitement you have for the for the project. Uh, it goes you a were. long way. You, you did the unboxing and you talked through yeah. it and there, what, there you are. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And my daughter and I, we had this great video about creating a character. We're having fun and joking and messing with each other. And, you know, it, it makes it human. It makes it mm -hmm. people oriented, not just corporate, you know, oh, this is just another, you know, business making a product. Like, no, there's something deeper going on. And it, then it creates community. And it's been a lot of fun. Although that doesn't come without its pitfalls. 
right? Because there is, you know, uh, you know that's that's a part of the reason why people are gun shy, especially in this kind yeah. of newer, more cynical time of like you, you put your face on there, but then you have you expose yourself to whatever. I mean, yeah. have you gotten a little bit of that, or is it like a mix, or what? What what's your experience there? That's a good question. Um, I don't know. One thing I always come back to is when someone writes something negative. One of my first questions is, where is this person from? Right. Is English their first language? That's one of the questions I've really like found myself asking all the time because sometimes people, and I, I know this as a, a second language speaker, you know, speaking Spanish, I don't necessarily know all the nuances of speaking mm -hmm. Spanish. And so like, if I have to say something kinder or, or even angrier, I don't necessarily know which word to use. And so that's one thing is just stepping back and going, okay, maybe this person didn't know that this was kind of a rude way to say it. Um, they're not meaning anything by it. They just, this is the word they knew and this is the word they used. And I am taking it, like I am I am changing it in my brain. It's not what they meant. It's what I am assuming, right? So mm -hmm. that, that's the one thing that really helps. Um, but also just assuming that the person doesn't have ill intent. Mm -hmm. They don't know me. They don't know anything about me. Like all they know is what they've seen online or, you know, something they've heard or, or whatever. And, um, and just letting it go, you know, kind of going back to the whole imposter syndrome. I feel like we take in so much of the negative and then we'll just pass over the positive. You know, like one negative comment will stick with us for days, weeks, years, decades. But then all the good stuff people say, we don't believe it. Mm -hmm. Like, what, let's switch that around. Like, yeah. like say something I, negative, I, like, I don't know about that. that maybe, maybe <laughs> that's true. Yeah. In psychotherapy, we say uh, bad stuff is sticky like Velcro. Good stuff is slippery like Teflon. Yes, that's a great way to look at it. And so almost tricking your brain into flipping that around. And again, like I said earlier, sometimes you kind of have to lie to yourself for a little bit, <laughs> eventually believe it. Right. But um, no, I haven't seen too much, you know, um, and it's, I try to stay. It's, it's very easy to hold on to good within a lot of good. Yeah, definitely. Another thing is I try to stay apolitical on things like yeah. I don't post my politics or my ideas, ideologies, whatever online, because why, you know, like that's not, that's not what I'm trying to do. Um, and cause I know no matter what I say, 50% of the other, you know, of the folks are, are going to disagree. And, and, and look at me differently, good or bad. Right. And so that's another thing I've really thought more and more about is, is trying to avoid getting caught up into debates and, and stuff, mm -hmm. you know, political thing. Like I hate, I hate social media. If I'm being totally honest, like the only reason I'm there is for board game stuff. Right. And so I have to try to do my best to avoid getting sucked in to all the other, because I'm not there for the other. Now, some people go there for the other and that's totally fine. You do sure. you. My thing is I'm here for game design. I'm here to see what cool games are coming out and see what mm -hmm. people are playing and see, you know, to feel that community. Um, that's it. And then just kind of sticking to that, which is extremely difficult sometimes because you see something and you're like, Ooh, I need to say something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Do I though? <laughs> do, do I? Is this is this gonna ruin like the next six hours of my day? So let me just let me just uh -huh. go watch some board game reviews and uh, and think about what game I'm working on and how to make it better. And so that's mm -hmm. another thing. If anybody is is thinking about you know doing this thing and kind of putting your face on something, getting yourself out there, is just be real honest with yourself, but also just think think through what are your actual goals. Yeah. And if your goals involve politics, then dive in. If they don't, then maybe take a step back and just kind of reassess, you know, what, what's going on. Yeah. And I, 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 obviously I come at it from a much different perspective because I yeah, have yeah. all sorts of different stuff going on. However, I, the way I try to think about these things is I want to take any, like that word politics, right? It's like, okay, what are people afraid of? That people are afraid of like stuff, getting told what to do right? and, you know, uh, getting games taken away. Right. And so it's like, all right, we're, we're not doing, we're not about any of this stuff. Right. I am here to give you more games. Mm -hmm. And I'm hired to give you more diverse games. And what I like about the approach with Roman is clearly you're giving people like you put thoughts into something different. I'm giving you something more than you had already. I'm not just doing the same thing over and over again. That's what makes people the maddest yeah. is clearly as, as when it's the same over and over again. And that's insanity, right? You do the same thing over and over again. You, you, you get worse results, right? right? But you're doing something different. You're taking a risk. And I think on a, on a, a certain level, because people have that core desire for like, I just want more stuff. Yeah. more fun and you're being honest and you're doing all the other stuff about it i think it's I mean, the 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 i mean the proofs in the pudding you're funded yeah. and it's a real funding it's not like a fake funding <laughs> and, you know like yeah. it's 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 this game is getting made so yeah yeah, yeah absolutely yeah right. we're at like 85 86,000 as of this recording and uh yeah that will make it that that's not gonna help me pay any of my bills but that will make the game right right and so <laughs> right you know hopefully we'll get a little bit more and, and so i don't have to pick up a part-time job or anything but <laughs> <laughs> is this is the intention to go to retail at some point? I mean, eventually. So as an indie publisher, um, first of all, I'm going to take a step back and, and 
to sure. jump off of what you were saying a second ago, one thing I love about what you're doing is because it's so frustrating. A lot of people do go online and they go, you should think this way. Right, right. X, Y, Z, whatever political debate of the day is, my my viewpoint is the is the viewpoint. And if you don't think like me, you're stupid. One thing I love about what you're doing in the space is you're creating conversation. It's right. let's chat about it. Let's have a conversation. Let's not get emotional or angry or whatever. Let's let's put the facts and the ideas and the details out there and let's let the best ideas float to the top and let's talk about it. Right, right. And no matter what you believe, mm -hmm. you know, whatever end of the spectrum you're on, dead set in the middle, whatever, conversation is the key. Mm -hmm. And so that's one thing I just want to say for a second. I love about what you bring to the table. And I know a lot of people don't see it that way. And a lot of people get really upset and they jump, you know, sure. all over you about stuff. But at the end of the day, I feel like you're creating a space for conversation and that's where change happens. That's where you know, life comes from. So anyway, um, oh, I think mutual admiration society. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I had a really good conversation today about this with a guy. And as we were talking about the new Disney stuff, mm. so much of it feels like content, not art. Yeah. It's we got to get another show out next quarter. Mm -hmm. We have to justify people, you know, having all these subscriptions to our platform. Therefore, we have to put out this many new shows a year, a quarter, whatever. And so, so much of it, it feels that way. It feels like it's half baked. It feels like mm -hmm. the CGI needed another six months. It feels there's so many things you're like, this is content. Well, that actually, the, the articles came out about that. Like, you know, so when She-Hulk came out, mm -hmm. as you record the She-Hulk, and She-Hulk, the, the, you could tell the CGI is at a level below. Yeah. And the, 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 the artist actually came out and made public record saying the crunch is impossible. Yeah. Like we're making three movies a year. We're making five shows a year and they're always changing things. So I like that. I'm throwing uh -huh. away stuff and I'm, you know, they're always like, you know, very busy body type things. And right. like, I'm literally running to premieres with a USB key with the final version of the movie the, <laughs> wow. the art, the, 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 um, the actors are on the red carpet, but the movie is not uploaded yet. Cause I was wow. working on it last night. Like seriously, like uh, to that point. So like, that's the, and talk about the the increased cynicism, right? I think that that's where the cynicism comes from is this push for more, more, more content, yeah. content, 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 and the, we feel like we're getting stuff shoved in our throats like a goose. Yeah, you know, and that's what happened in the nineties with the comic books. Like people got tired of it, and like the the bubble burst, and so we're afraid of get like in all these spheres of getting of the bubble bursting, right? Yeah. And and what's the antidote to that? The antidote to that is actual creativity and community. Exactly. And so that's that's how I'm looking at Robomon. That's how I look at a lot of like indie publishing, whether it's video games, board games, YouTube, whatever, movies, you know. Um, retail. It's art. We're talking about retail. We were talking about retail. That's right. That's right. Um, is, is pushing for art, right? So really taking the time. Like I said, I've been working on this for two and a half years just to get it to this point to launch on GameFound, right? And it's got another year or so of development because like everything's in place. The systems are in place. Everything is designed. Everything is like we know where we're going. And now it's just a matter of the writing and the art to put it all together and then, you know, fun with manufacturing and hopefully shipping will be not quite as bananas uh, right. a year from now. Um, but as far as retail goes, like, yeah, the money is an interesting thing because like you want to be able to print 10,000 copies, right? You, you sold 6,000 on your, in your campaign, you print an extra three or 4,000 that hopefully, you know, you get really good reviews and everybody wants to buy it and you sell mm -hmm. out in a few months, but it takes a crap ton of money to do that. You know, and so with a project like this, which is so art heavy, the art alone is tens and t I mean, I don't even want to. Mm -hmm. I don't. I, I need to like sit down and really break down. It's basically like how much money do we bring in, and then we're going to kind of figure out budgets and things uh, as far as like the final and like what we can really dive into versus now we're going to have to take a step back because we just don't mm -hmm. quite have the money. Um, but like, it's this is not a project that's made a million dollars. It's not something that's going to have five thousand extra copies. You know, that's nothing. I don't, I'm not saying that to like try to twist somebody's arm into backing it now, but like, there's just not going to be a ton of extra money to print a ton of extra copies. And so I guess what I'm looking at is, is okay. If let's say we have 3000 backers by the end. Okay. I might only print 4,500 and then that's it, you know? And then like, cause that's all the money there is. Like when you're paying a hundred thousand dollars to manufacture a game, <laughs> and you got to ship it. Like it's just yeah. a lot going on, right? Um, and so there might not be very many in retail. And now the hope is that you know your game comes out and people love it, and you have really good reviews, and then you immediately do another crowdfunding campaign, and then a whole lot more people come on board. You know, Sleeping Gods is a great example of that. With Ryan Lockett coming and doing like the part two kind of thing, and a lot, a lot more people. I mean, he made an extra mill million dollars mm -hmm. on that. 
Um, Jay Cormier did a phenomenal campaign with Mind MGMT and, and did it that way. A lot of great reviews came out. He sold out, immediately did a Kickstarter and made a ton of money. Mm. And so, you know, that's kind of a blueprint that I'm looking at as well. But um, yeah, what that means is there's probably just not a lot of retail copy. That's a long, long winded way to say probably not very many. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I, because I, I got a comment, right? I think I saw one of the either. I don't know if it was on our YouTube channel or your thing, but like they was wondering about retail because this is a person who doesn't want to engage in crowdfunding and yeah. wants more of a sure product and everything. Oh, sure. And like, I understand. Just the idea that you're putting that you put this much thought into it is appreciated. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And that's and I understand that mentality, right? Why would I give somebody 80 bucks? for something I'm not going to get for a year. Right. Assuming a year is accurate and knowing Kickstarter, knowing the, the nature of things, it's more like more likely a, a year and a half, maybe two years. I'm holding you know? up the box, the Carnival Zombie 2nd Edition. I backed this in 2019. Oh, dang. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's 2022 and I got it yesterday. <laughs> wow. Hey, pro bravo to them though for seeing They're it Sticking through, it in and they didn't charge the extra for shipping. They just waited and waited and waited. It's like, I, I will do the, I will be proud to do the review for this game because I want this game. Yeah. <laughs> At least the creator to be like, you know, give some shout out. Be like, thanks for sticking with it. Exactly. And that's my mentality too. It's like, if I tell you I'm going to deliver something, come hell or high water, it's going to get to your house. Yes. Like if I got to go out and work at McDonald's, you know, and whatever, just to make some extra money to finally pay off that shipping charge, whatever, that's what I'm going to do. And if I tell somebody something, I'm going to do it. Um, and I just want people to know that. Like I, I give you my word on these things. Um, Cause trust is hard to come by. That's one of the things for new creators. Like trust is really a much bigger currency than money yeah. as far as like starting out. And, and, and so doing anything you can, to just build that trust again that's why it's helpful to have you out in front and you, as a person like hey this is this is me you can trust as a human being i'm not just some business right um but anyway yeah it's it's a hard it's a hard thing man. ad break <laughs> <laughs> no ads and show stories no ads <laughs> <laughs> but um but it's super challenging um for sure i mean the world is so different now and we'll see what it looks like a year from now as things kind of hopefully calm back down we'll see what inflation looks like let's we'll, we'll see what the supply chains are, are continuing to do the, the paper you know it's been an interesting thing to kind of figure out with manufacturers sure. it's like when there's a shortage on paper all of a sudden everything else gets messed up and then you know international fulfillment's been crazy and oh, anyway it's just it's a lot to navigate but hey that's that's part of it this is Roboman. This is a open world, collect them all, uh, you know, robot battling game, uh, adventure style. We didn't even mention uh, one to two players yeah. and you do the two player cooperative. So it's a, a low player kind of experience. Play it with your wife, play it with your spouse, I should say, uh, play it with your child. And, you know, it's going to have a lot of content. It's going to be 30 hours and it is not quite like what you've experienced on the tabletop. So that's kind of the, uh, that's what I'm getting in terms of the final sell. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, so uh, please go and check out the link in the show notes for the GameFound link. We're not on Kickstarter, but we're on GameFound. Uh, and we're funded, so you are going to get a game come hell or high water or Gabe working at McDonald's. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Gabe Barrett, thank you so much for stopping by the show. Vincent, really appreciate you inviting me on, man. This has been a lot of fun. I feel like we covered way more topics than I anticipated, but uh, I think it's a good thing. That's a good problem. I love conversations. What are you, what are you going to talk about? <laughs> awesome. If you can change your mind, you change the world, people. So until next time, later, everybody. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop. Or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another Top 5 list.